0: All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey everybody, welcome to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. How's it going? Hope you're having a great week. Uh, We had sort of an adventurous one here in LiveWire town because we tried a couple of firsts this week. Uh, One, we recorded the show at the Alberta Street Pub in Portland. That was new for us. Uh, And also we brought a new friend of the show on stage, Elena Passarello. Uh, Elena is a writer by trade. And I was wondering, right as we got things started, uh, if Elena was going to be nervous, you know, about doing radio. Because when you're doing radio, you can't get things perfect the way you can when when you're a writer, like she is. So, well, you know what? Just take a listen to this. Uh, Elena, this is your first time uh, hanging out with us in this capacity. Now, you're a writer, have a couple of amazing books out. Yes. Um, well, I, wouldn't, I don't know about that.
3: Yeah, yeah I felt like you agreed <laughs> that yes, they I were <laughs> amazing
0: kind of quickly. But. They are spectacular. <laughs> when you write things, you get to sort of get everything perfectly the way you want it, right? But here we are. We're talking into microphones. We're in front of this crowd. This is all just kind of happening in real time. Are you concerned about saying something inappropriate or, or just saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment? Yeah, I sort
3: of feel like I already did. So, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's one of the reasons writers become writers, is we are terrified of the all the different places that impromptu conversation can go. So we sit in a room with no one else in it, and we make perfect sentences that sort of prove how put together
0: we are. So this is a little terrifying for me, I think. You would think that I've been doing this kind of job for, like, over 10 years. And you would think that I would have worked out some kind of system for making sure that I'm not bringing up the wrong thing at the wrong time. But my system is a very bad one, which is on a kind of horizontal line is whoever it is I'm talking to. And on a vertical line is any experience I can think of related to them. And where (laughs) those two things meet is what I just start talking about reflexively.
3: So, so just whatever pops into your mind about the person, it's the first thing that you will say at them. Whether or not
0: it's actually the time for that. Oh, wonderful. That's a good strategy. It really, uh, put me in a tight spot. Uh, A while ago, I met the actor Ethan Hawke and uh, you've heard of him. (laughs) He won't be here today. I'll just be talking about him. (laughs) Sorry, everybody. Um, I was at a radio station and I was in the break room. I was getting some coffee and Ethan Hawke was there to do an interview and I didn't know he was going to be there. And so I just turned around (laughs) and he was like as close to me as you are, Elena. And instead of just saying, oh, hello, Ethan Hawke, I I liked your work in Before Sunset or just saying nothing, which is also what a normal person might have done. Always an option to say nothing. I thought, well, what do I got on Ethan Hawke? Where do those two lines intersect? And where they intersected was that I had previously seen in New York City an extremely hurtful puppet show about Ethan Hawke. I was at one of those like alt-comedy nights, and one of these alt-comedians had a puppet that was representing the actor Ethan Hawke, and this person was reading out of Ethan Hawke's actual book that he had written called The Hot Estate. Oh, yeah. It was pre-James
3: Franco. It was like the first time a kind of young, leading man decided to venture into the literary arts, and he was a little ridiculed for it. I believe
0: the foreword, which was dedicated to his mom, said, without irony, shine on, you crazy diamond. Okay, well. So there's a puppet of Ethan Hawke reading the foreword to his book, and then he starts getting heckled from another puppet in the audience. And the whole thing was... The joke was really sort of on him, but it didn't occur to me in that break room that this was not going to be a great story to tell Ethan Hawke because I just explained the whole thing to him, kind of like I just did to you. And he looked at me, kind of cocked his head with that classic Ethan Hawke expression. And he said, yeah, sounds like they were really making fun of me. And then what did you say? I kind of went into crisis mode and I said, I know how it sounds like that. Right now, but if you were there, it was kind of like it was in honor of you. It was kind of one of those, like, respectful puppet shows. And then he said to me, and I don't know if this is, like, because he wanted it to be true or because he's just been surrounded, you know, by the sort of Hollywood fame bubble. He, he looked at me with total trust and belief in his eyes, and he said, oh, it was one of those puppet shows. LAUGHTER
3: <laughs> what and, you know? If I were Ethan Hawke, which I often wish that I was, I, I my question to you would be: What did the puppet look like? You know, like did, did what was it wearing? Did it have my goatee?
0: It would be less that they did a puppet show making fun of you, and did they get the facial features right?
3: Right, exactly. Like, how was the nose? Was it felt, or would I be more of a
0: wooden rendering? Right. Yeah, I think only because of Ethan Hawke's, I don't know, again, if it's just his essential humanity or that he really thinks those are puppet shows that exist, like respectful puppet shows. (laughs) I was able to sort of get out of it, but I continue to do this as just a way of moving through the world, which is a very bad fit for me being a radio host. It is a good fit for this episode of Livewire, though, because we're going to be talking about that stuff this hour, the things that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company. We actually asked the crowd here at the Alberta Street Pub for their stories of things they should not have brought up in fact the question we said is what is something you wish you hadn't brought up jennifer said uh telling a friend how much her daughter looks like her dad then the friend telling me her daughter was adopted
3: i've actually done that one before yeah oh they look so much like and then it's like this baby came from a different country or something yeah i feel your pain jennifer why is that insulting exactly Maybe it's just awkward, because uh, you're implying biology and there are other ways that families are built, you know, Or maybe the child is much more attractive than the parent, because it was adopted. You know, maybe. <laughs>
0: I had not even thought of that. I think <laughs>
4: uh,
0: What is something you wish you hadn't brought up? Uh, Basil says, "The need for common-sense gun legislation during Thanksgiving dinner with my family in Oklahoma. I feel like it's a minor miracle. uh, Basil made it (laughs) out of Oklahoma. Um, And then Ed said something that they wish they hadn't brought up. So when is the baby due? (laughs) Show of hands, because radio is a notoriously visual medium. How many people have made that mistake right here in the pub? That's uh, that's one you only make once. Yeah, no, yeah, and then you you run away from Uh, all bellies. All right, so we're talking about stuff that you're not really supposed to talk about. And it just so happens that waiting in the wings, we actually have a recognized master when it comes to this sort of stuff. She is Lori Kilmartin. Let's get her up here. <laughs> Lori, welcome to Livewire. Thank you, Lori. Uh, what is the last deeply inappropriate topic that you happen to bring up in conversation?
1: Uh, it, I, I guess it depends on who you are talking to, right? I mean, most of my friends are comics, so if I bring up like airplane food, then they get very offended because Just it's boring. It's hacky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they really, everyone, most of the people I know really like to go for the jugular immediately, and I have to uh, if I am boring them, then then I've been offensive. So
0: it's not even that you're worried about what you're saying in terms of hurting their feelings or or being over the line. It's that if you're not close enough to the line, you will be ostracized from your friend group. (laughs)
1: That's right. Yes, that's that's true. Yeah, I I write on Conan. And so we're just a bunch of uh, people that are trying to gross each other out all day long before we have to be clean on the show. And uh, so it's it's uh, it's embarrassing if I'm if I'm not as bad as everybody else. I just wonder, what comes first? It's like a chicken or the egg thing. Are people
3: who want to immediately push those conversational boundaries drawn to comedy? Or does comedy make you that kind of person who automatically wants to go really quickly to the, the inappropriate material?
1: I, I think you're that kind of person. And then you start finding other people who start saying those things. And you're like, oh, my tribe. Okay. And then you just spend a lifetime trying to uh, outdo each other. and uh, you. <laughs> You end up having very few friends, um, and you spend a lot of time alone.
0: You have a new book out called Dead People Suck, uh, which is hilarious and also moving. It sort of centers around your father passing away, uh, but it also is kind of a handbook for people that are uh, going through grief, uh, or also people who have been maybe diagnosed uh, as not having much time left on this planet. That was the chapter that really jumped out at me, because... I wondered if you were nervous about writing a chapter of advice for people who have been diagnosed as terminal, when that's not something you've been through.
1: Uh, correct. Uh, yeah, that was the one I was most nervous about, and that's the one I opened with. Yeah. Uh, but I also felt like um, just going through my dad's. Uh, my dad had lung cancer, and he died in 2014. And he was so unprepared, and I wish he had just taken a little bit of time to sell a few things that were cluttered in the garage, or you, you know. I I, I, um, <laughs> the,
0: he hears you the, wherever he is.
1: <laughs> um, and also, you know, we weren't sure what to do. Like I, I started posting on, I started tweeting and posting on Facebook about my dad, but I was like, is this my thing to post? And am I allowed to do this? But I thought, well, this is my grief and it's my dad. So I'm coming from that point of view, but I wasn't sure if my dad would have wanted to go out that publicly. It was a little tough to write that because I felt like I was talking about something I did, I only knew from one perspective. Um,
0: I know that you had a comedy special of 45 jokes about my dead dad, Correct. which was developed out of a lot of the tweets that you were writing yeah. while you were at his bedside. Right. Um, do you have a favorite of those 45 jokes you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Gosh, I guess uh, my son was seven when my dad died and he, you know, he was crying tears of joy because he was about to get my dad's iPad. Uh, <laughs> there, there was no grief. He didn't understand it. And um, at one point, he said, how did grandpa get, get lung cancer? And I said, well, he quit a long, long time ago. But for many, many years, grandpa played Minecraft. Uh, yeah.
0: That's a good joke. That's a solid and topical <laughs> joke. Um, one of the things that you write in the book is you say, uh, this book is about old people dying as expected of old people causes. I think your dad was 83. He was he 83. Right. Do you feel like that is an underaddressed part of the grieving process? When somebody dies at an age we think of as being quote-unquote appropriate?
1: Yeah, I, I, I wasn't prepared for it. I was 48 when my dad died and I was still shocked. You know, that I didn't have a dad anymore. And and I, I was like, Why why is this a surprise to me? I knew it was coming and he was elderly, he was visibly elderly. And I think there's a whole generation of us that are coming to that. And we're just, we're not really ready for it. It seems like when we do talk about death, it's about real tragic deaths or early deaths or young deaths or preventable deaths. But the ones that might affect most of us are the predictable deaths. And I think a lot of you know, middle-aged people are really unprepared for that kind of huge loss and that change in the way your family is. You know?
0: But also maybe feeling like you don't have a good story about it.
1: Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, uh, when someone's really old, you say they died and people are like, oh, okay. You know, at least you had one for 50 years or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not as fun. I tried to make it fun uh, in my book. You really did. I mean, and, and by <laughs> the way, lest
0: you uh, think that this is not a fun book about death, uh, there's a, basically a drawing of Lori taking a selfie <laughs> on a casket. <laughs> So, yeah. it is a laugh riot. <laughs> uh, hold on. We got to take a very short break. This is Livewire from PRI. We're talking to comedian and author Lori Kilmartin. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Livewire is supported in part by Fully. Listen, you know in your heart of hearts that sitting around at work all day, that ain't great for you. But guess what? It's not just your heart of hearts, there's actually a lot of science backing that up, which is why Livewire partners with Fully the company that believes people weren't meant to be glued to a chair all day. Fully has curated the best collection, and I've been there, by the way. I've met them, I've seen the stuff, and I can testify. They've got the best collection of standing desks, active sitting chairs, and other workspace tools that encourage us to move. Uh, I've got the TikTok stool. In fact, I'm sitting on it right now. I don't know if you can hear me rocking back and forth on it. But uh, the folks at Fully sent me this thing, and it is just a dream. Uh, it's comfortable to sit on, but it keeps me engaged in the work that I'm doing, keeps the blood flowing, and uh, and it's really improved my life as I uh, work to host your favorite public radio show and podcast, known as LiveWire, in case you needed a reminder. Anyway, if you would like to be better at what you're doing and stay more engaged, check out Fully. Get your body moving in your workspace by going to fully.com backslash LiveWire, that's F-U-L-L-Y.com backslash LiveWire. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRI. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. Over there, that's Elena Passarello. We are here at the Alberta Street Pub in Portland with comedian and writer Lori Kilmartin. Her new book is Dead People Suck. Um, You use comedy in this book, and I would imagine in your real life, Mm -hmm. as a way to process your grief. Um, Even sometimes it seems like slightly to the distress of your mother who seems to have a good sense of humor but also draws the line a little earlier than you do yeah Was, i mean were there times in the process of your dad uh, in hospice care where you're making jokes and your mom is like "Lori, that is wildly inappropriate
1: no she's pretty used to uh me and i think she developed tinnitus so she couldn't hear me <laughs> uh, so there's a constant ringing in her ears but uh you know, it's, it's interesting how people react to hospice because my dad came to our house. He came home to die. And it's so it's boring. And you have this weird energy where you're fervently paying attention to a dying person and then they fall asleep and you have all this strange energy and, and you can't leave the house because what if they die? You know, so you're stuck there, and uh, like my mom was cleaning and constantly washing things, and and announcing that she'd washed a, a, a blanket if anyone needed it, and, and constantly just holding things up that she'd cleaned, <laughs> and uh, you know, going through the cabinets, telling us what food we had. It was for her, it was just nonstop cataloging of things in the kitchen um, <laughs> that made all of us insane. My sister and I would just go out to the yard to get away from her, but be close to our dad.
3: One thing that I thought, uh, that one scene that really stuck with me was the fact that uh, if you are in hospice with a loved one, you're almost always on speakerphone.
1: Right, <laughs> because old people can't hear anything, you know? <laughs> so we're, we were always on speaker, and family members that, you know, couldn't come or were too lazy to come or we, whatever their excuse was would call, and th- that is a very awkward goodbye is a goodbye to somebody on speakerphone, you know? Who is not
0: long for this world. That's right. So it is literally the final goodbye, most likely. It is
1: the final goodbye. And um, my advice is always let the dying person say bye first. You know, this is their last one, so you don't have to push it. Um, And... (laughs) Don't worry. They're, dying is very exhausting, so they will, it won't be a long call. They'll fall asleep pretty quick. And, uh, and if you feel like anything's left unsaid, call back. I mean, my dad was in hospice for 10 days, and it, it really is a long, drawn-out process, even though it goes by really quickly. And you can always call back with, a, with a, another goodbye, I guess, if you need one.
0: Uh, we're talking to Lori Kilmartin. Her new book is Dead People Suck. This is Live Wire from <laughs> PRI. Um, you kept your dad's body... Uh, for a, basically about a day after yeah. he finally passed away, which is totally legal, yeah. you point out in the book. It's not illegal to have uh, the, the body of your loved one with you. And in a lot of cultures, this is really normal. And in fact, it really often helps with the grieving process to kind of be with the body, not just see it yeah. whisked away. And it sounds like that was something uh, that really helped you.
1: Yeah, I wish I could have taxidermied my dad, <laughs> just have him in the house, but you know. That might
0: actually be illegal.
1: Uh, that is illegal. But yeah, he died on a Sunday morning. He died on Oscar morning. And uh, we had a hospital bed in the living room pointed towards the television, which at that time was only on Fox News, because that's what my dad wanted to die seeing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I still think his cause of death was Sean Hannity. But it
0: um, wouldn't be the first. No. <laughs>
1: But uh, so we, we and we didn't want. I don't know. My dad looked so pink and he looked so alive. He just looked like he was asleep for a long time. So the hospice people said we could keep him uh, till the next day. Uh, they just said turn the air conditioning on, you know, because bodies start to decompose and I uh, none of us wanted to be around for that. And we just uh, all snuggled up on my dad's bed and we watched the Oscars with him. And uh, he laughed as much in death as he had in life at um, the Oscar monologue. <laughs> Laurie
0: Kilmartin, everybody. The book is Dead People Suck. <laughs> All right, Laurie, here on Livewire, we want to get to know our guests on a very deep, very intimate level. Right. Um, and so in front of you, I am placing an actual physical jar... It's got five questions inside it. These are questions we think truly strip humanity down to its bare elements. These are the five essential questions of our time. We call this exercise the jar of truth.
1: It's very official looking with the, it the paper. It is. Did you Did you write that out this morning? Uh, I have somebody
0: who who writes things out for me. I've got a team of people. So I've got this jar of truth, this hastily assembled jar of truth. It's got five questions in it. Right. Uh, Lori, you will draw one question out. Okay. Uh, at random, I will read the question to you, and then you need to answer it. Okay. Uh, as honestly as possible. I will. These are the five most important questions of our age. Laurie Kilmartin, how far away can you be from a location to ethically send the text, almost there?
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, well, uh, I don't know. I never say almost there. I always say 15 minutes, and I lie by 15 minutes, <laughs> right? So 15 I'm like, oh, minutes from Lori traffic. is a
0: 30 minutes.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say an almost there is between uh, 9 and 11 minutes. What do you think?
0: Uh, that got one half clap. <laughs> so the audience is on your side. <laughs> Passerella, what, what do you say? I feel like it's transportation specific. So
3: if, you, if the person knows it, that you're walking, or if you're taking the subway, or if you're taking a cab, mm-hmm. almost there if you're walking is like, like a block away. And almost there, if you're in a cab, is like you're in the general neighborhood, right? Do you have a car? Uh, I do.
1: Oh, okay, because yeah. all three of your answers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right yeah. we're, Well, we're fa- face <laughs> it, this Non car related. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it's amazing she didn't talk about a recumbent bicycle, <laughs> which is the other common mode of transportation. Or my emotional support donkey. <laughs> yeah. That I, that, yeah. How is Rico doing?
1: He's good. He's good. Okay. Uh, you know, he just got out of Pilates. Oh, uh, yeah. He'll be shortly. For me, if I do an almost there text, if I, you know, five minutes later, I'm sorry, I got to cancel. That's usually, that's my favorite. <laughs> almost there and then a cancellation. Yeah. Yeah, do you yeah. ever wow. send the almost yeah. there knowing you're going to cancel? No. I, then, I, then I'm like, oh, I don't want to go. I got to fake a car crash. And... Uh, <laughs> I have pictures of car crashes saved on my phone so I can text them to people. You got to make sure it's not. Don't worry, I'm okay, but uh, I can't. When doing that,
0: though, don't go with the first Google image that comes back because (laughs) they'll be able to easily research that. You got to go two or three pages down. No,
1: I I have a Honda, so uh, almost every other car is is a Honda, so I'm good. Yeah. All
0: right. I think that we've learned something here today, and I really appreciate your taking on the jar of truth. Lori Kilmartin, everybody. Thank you. The book is Dead People Suck. Check her out at kilmartin.com. Thanks, Lori. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Now, people may think Alaska Airlines only flies from cold to colder. But with 1,200 daily flights and 118 destinations, Alaska Airlines is a gateway from the West Coast to the world. Learn more at alaskaairlines.com. This is Livewire Radio from PRI. We're here at the Alberta Street Pub this week. And you know what? Let's get Lori Kilmartin back up to the stage. What do you say?
1: Um, I had this weird experience where I was texting in my car. I was parked next to a curb. And uh, I was texting and not paying attention. And a guy jumped in my back seat. And he goes, hi, I'm Mike. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it turns out Mike thought that I was his Uber driver. <laughs> and I, in that instant, thought Mike was my murderer. <laughs> I was like, wow, this guy's really polite. He's introducing himself. He obviously <laughs> thinks he's not going to leave a witness. I can't testify or let them go. It was Mike. Yeah, uh, He's pretty thorough. And I was so relieved to uh, still be alive afterwards that I took Mike to the airport. Um, yeah. I actually have to pick him up in a few minutes. But um, <laughs> we, we bonded. I am a, a single mother. Uh, my son is 11 years old. I can't believe he's 11 already. I remember when he was so tiny, he fit on the front steps of a Catholic church. I just... Put him there and shuffled away. I'm on uh, Cupid. I'm 52, and this guy messaged me, he goes, 52, wow, you look 47. <laughs> I was like, hold on, let me take a second and accept this amazing compliment. <laughs> that I look five years younger, thank you. <laughs> I was on a date with a guy and he goes, uh, just so you know, I'm not ready to be a stepdad yet. And I was like, that's OK. Uh, I'm actually not looking for a stepdad tonight. You know, if, if you want to join my family, you could be this month's uncle. That's, that's totally open. That position is open. That's what I, t- I never tell my son I have a boyfriend. I don't want to harm him emotionally. I always tell my son, oh, honey, this is your uncle. And then when I break up with a guy, I tell my son, oh, honey, your uncle died. I know, it's tough, because I had a really good month in November on OkCupid, which means, of course, my son did not. He lost seven uncles. I do, uh, he is an only child, which means I am my son's only playmate. He's always like, mom, do you wanna play with me? Uh, no. I'm sorry, we have nothing in common. I don't like Minecraft, you hate Pinterest. I don't wanna play with you, you're boring. I got you Legos, built something. Build a dad or an uncle, I don't care, but please. I was tucking my son into bed. He goes, mom, you should have had another baby. I'm like, honey, I didn't even want to have you. Now sleep tight and happy birthday. I almost lost you guys on that one. You almost stormed out. <laughs> Are there, uh, are there parents here tonight? Yeah, okay, all right. Um, are you single parents? Yeah, just one, okay. <laughs> uh, congratulations to the rest of you, by the way, on your healthy relationships. Uh, don't get uh, too satisfied with yourselves. Statistically, many of you will be single parents. Yeah, I got bad news for you. Love dies and children live. Uh, are there childless people here tonight? Yes, did you, did you hear the joy in their voices? Did you see the hands shoot up with energy instead of like a surrender? Uh, here's what it's like to, to be a mom, to have a child. Imagine how much you love your pet and then just multiply that love by 0. 0.7 and divide that by 10. Um, <laughs> I, uh, kids are hard at every age. Like when my son was in kindergarten, he would have two pages of homework every single night. And then we had to turn in eight pages on on Friday. He used to teach him to do something every night. And one week, I just blew it off. You know, I didn't want to sit with a five-year-old. I just wanted to watch TV. So Thursday night rolls around, I'm like, oh, dang. I either have to make a five-year-old do eight pages of homework tonight, or I can drink a bottle of wine Put the pencil in my left hand <laughs> and write exactly like a five-year-old. I did. We got a B+. Uh, it's, the best, <laughs> it's the best grade either of us ever got in our lives. When well, my kid, when, when they're tiny, when they're toddlers, they're, they're, they shout every single word they say. They're like teeny, tiny, elderly people. So one time, my son and I were on a plane. He had the window seat. The plane takes off. And he starts shouting, clouds, clouds, mom, clouds. Mom, clouds, clouds, mom, clouds. Non-stop bleeding like a sheep, you know? And uh, people on the plane started looking at me. And the guy in front of me says to his friend so I could hear you, he goes, oh my God, could that kid be any louder? And I snapped. I go, yeah, yeah, he can. Would you like me to make that happen? Because all I would have to do is pull down my kid's window shade. Like if you think clouds is loud, wait till you hear no clouds. We are four minutes into a six hour flight. You wanna dance? Okay. I'll tell him the pilot is a monster. I'll hide that Thomas is a tank engine. This will be the longest flight of your life. Oh, too good. Too good, thank you. I'll take that. It is a little too good. You're right. I don't just live with an 11 year old. My mother, my 81 year old mother moved in with me a couple months ago. Yes, that, that is a correct involuntary response is oof. Uh, it's temporary because she's 81.
4: <laughs>
1: uh, the reason my mom lives with me, you guys heard earlier, is my dad died a couple years ago. I took her in. I don't know if anyone here has lost a parent yet. And I'm sure some of you have. It's really, it's tough to lose a parent. It's even tougher if you were hoping to lose the other parent first. <laughs> don't boo me, my dad said the same thing. His last words to me were, ha ha, she's your problem now. All right. Thank you very much. Lori
0: Kilmartin, everybody. Thank you. Find her over at kilmartin.com.
1: Thank you. Oh, thanks so much. Appreciate you guys. That was so fun. Thank you.
0: Are you a subscriber to the Livewire newsletter? What? You're not? Gasp. Oh, my goodness. The newsletter is the best way to stay in the loop on our show, like when we're releasing new podcasts, uh, when we might be recording the show in a city near you. Plus, the newsletter includes awesome photos from our live recordings so you can see what we all looked like when we were making this radio show and podcast. If you would like to sign up, just click on the Stay Informed button on our website over there at LiveWireRadio.org. You know, uh, one of the big topics that you're not supposed to talk about in polite company is money, which is why I am so excited we have our next guest here. Let's get Gabby Dunn to the stage. Hello, Hello Gabby. Welcome to the show.
5: Thank you for having me. Um, you host
0: uh, an amazing podcast. Bad With Money, where you describe how kind of bad you have been with money throughout Mm. your life. Can you, for those who haven't heard it, can you give us a frame of reference? How bad with money are you actually? Uh,
5: Well, I think a lot of like uh, parts of the show talk about um, what you learn from your family in regards to money. So like your family money script and how personal and individual it is. So my parents were like very like hippy dippy sort of people and my dad jumps from job to job to job and you know master of none and and so my mom was an attorney and I found out this wasn't normal much later in life where she would barter instead of get paid she's a child custody divorce attorney so she would do people's divorces and then like just a bunch of ranch dressing would show up at her house and I'd be like what is this like she'd later when I interviewed her for the podcast she was like all your haircuts are free all your childhood furniture was free the centerpieces for your bat mitzvah and I'm like okay cool but like you know that money's a payment as well right <laughs> so like I started doing stuff like that too where like when I grew up I just would would think about any other aspect of working with people other than like what might the final number be so yes it was a weird thing to figure out that you could negotiate or like ask to be paid for things
0: So how did the idea for the podcast about this complicated relationship with money come to you?
5: So, uh, basically, I talk a lot in my work and on my on my YouTube channel about, like, sex and sexuality type stuff. And when Panoply came to me and was like, do you want to do a podcast t- together? What do you want to talk about? I was like, honestly, like, I could talk all day about sex stuff. But I the thing that I keep secret and the thing that I don't tell anyone and the thing that I cry about the most and the thing that I, like, have kept from my audience who purports to know everything about me is that I have such big money problems. I'm in debt. I have, you know, student loans. I have, like so many issues that I just was, was never telling anyone about. Um, and so for the first episode of the show, uh, we went to a coffee shop in LA. And we asked people, we said, can we ask you two questions? And people were like, yeah, go for it. And we said, first question, what's your favorite sex position? And everybody was like, oh, let me give you the rundown. Uh, and like just like was so happy to talk about it. And then the second question was, how much money is in your bank account? And people were furious. Like, they were like, why did you, how dare you? Um, and so I was like, that's the crux of the show. Like, money is the big last taboo.
0: We're talking to Gabby Dunn. Her podcast is Bad With Money. Uh, she also has uh, a couple of YouTube channels, right? Yeah, yeah. I got some stuff. You got some irons in the fire. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, though, uh, in the process of doing the podcast and and, and really confronting some of this stuff, because I'm somebody who historically has also been very bad with money, and mm-hmm. part of it is I don't want to even know the information. Oh, big like, time. It's, it's like a rock that has the world's biggest collection of disturbing insects under it. And mm-hmm. if I just don't turn it over, it's yep. not real. And yet, once I find out the information, usually I can begin to work through it. Are you getting better with money as a result of doing this podcast?
5: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's small stuff. I honestly would throw my mail away. I would get my mail from the mailbox, be like, Doo, do, 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 look at it, not open it, toss it in the garbage. All mail didn't matter what it was, and then I was starting through the show. Was like, you gotta open your mail. There's like bills and stuff in there. Like you gotta. My thought process was like, if they really need me, they know where to find me. You're like,
0: is uh, is this envelope yellow? Let it mellow.
5: Yeah, like you know. if it's that important, they'll throw a brick through my window or whatever. Like right. so, I would just like throw my mail away, and and that's the biggest like head in the sand.
0: Um, well, I have to say I find it very cathartic to listen to the show Thanks. and uh, it makes me feel like less of a basket case <laughs> totally. <Thanks>. Uh, totally. <laughs> which is I assume why you got into the podcast game, so I could feel like less of a basket case.
5: Yeah, we just met, but it was all about you.
0: Thank you. Um, we are talking about unmentionables this hour, about mm-hmm. topics that are not usually brought up in polite company. Um and, and money is one of them, which your podcast is about, but also, uh, you know, m- sexual stuff mm-hmm. can be considered off-limits or maybe uh, in questionable taste. Uh, you identify as polyamorous and pansexual. No, uh,
5: well, bisexual. The, okay. The, I mean, it's tough because, like, that's such a minutiae breakdown, but, like, I, I think they're kind of interchangeable at this point, but I've always kind of been more comfortable with bisexual versus pansexual. It's just a personal label. It's not like any kind of...
0: Can you explain, because where I got that information from was there is, of the many videos of you that are on YouTube, (laughs) and there are a lot, um, one said something about being pansexual and proud. That may have been somebody else attributing it to you, but can you explain what the difference is uh, for you between being pansexual and bisexual and why you feel one uh, more than the other?
5: It used to be that. By attributed like the bi aspect of it to the gender binary, so it was like more like attracted to men and women. And then slowly, as gender became more of a spectrum, people were identifying as pansexual because they were like, and this includes like all genders, any genders, not just men and women. They kind of have evolved to mean the same thing. I might get in huge trouble for this, I don't know, but um, but it's the thing that happens sometimes when you're like a notable person on the internet and you belong to any particular group, like, you know, I identify with the queer community, the groups are very... Uh, happy to grab you. And they want you to be part of their group. So like, I think people are like, you know, when I started talking about being bisexual online, people were like, well, that's not what you mean. Because you wouldn't just be into men and women. You would be into people who are agender or non-binary or whatever. So that means you're really pansexual. And I'm like, you don't get to decide (laughs) what I call. Thank you for your input and (laughs) suggestions. Uh, You don't get to decide. I get to decide.
0: How do you navigate that stuff? Because I don't know if you've noticed But people have a lot of opinions on the internet. What? (laughs) And particularly in the, I think you might describe it as the sort of progressive community, whether it's politically progressive, uh, sexually progressive. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get through the internet uh, in the current day and age doing what you do?
5: I don't know. I mean, I, I think you have to read what kind of place it's coming from, because oftentimes it's coming from a place of like superiority or like gotcha. Like aho uh-huh, moral superiority, like you didn't mention this one thing when, and and it's disingenuous because they know what type of person you are. They know what you meant. They know like, um, but there is this sort of like badge of honor of being like, I got this person, um, and then. But what I don't understand either is the people who. Uh, have actual concerns and then and then the person that they're voicing those concerns to decides to instead of being like thank you for the information i really appreciate it just like doubles down and that is the wrong approach like even small things like someone i made a joke about like uh cynthia nixon running for for governor of new york where some was it Christine Quinn? Was like yeah. she's an unqualified lesbian, and I like retweeted it and was like, "Uh, who isn't, you know?" And uh, and then uh, someone was like, underneath it was like, "She's actually bisexual," and I was like, "No, yeah, me too. That that doesn't really. The joke doesn't work if I have to put. You guys get humor, right?" And so instead of just being like f you to her i was like i was like no yeah me too and then the person was like oh i am also and i was like wow what a productive conversation we've had here i also ignore a lot of it like sometimes it's not even about you a lot of times like when criticism is coming your way the person has already made up their mind they've made up their mind like weeks before you ever said anything you are are not a human being you're a vessel to an opinion they already held so just let them have it like, they already wanted to make this point, And they were sitting on their haunches waiting for someone to give them, you know, like a, a thing to, to go on. So it's not even about me. And I just have to be like, yay, you get to make your tweet storm. And I'll just be here living my life.
0: Gabby Dunn, ladies and gentlemen. The podcast is bad with money. All right, Gabby, if public radio is about anything aside from gentle puns, sure. uh, it's about a lifelong love of learning. And we are all about that here on Livewire, which is why we've created a non accredited audio only institute of higher education. Gabby Dunn, welcome to Livewire U. Part of what we like to do here at LiveWireU is have visiting guest lecturers swing through and inform us on topics that they know a lot about. Of course, this is the 2000s who has time for an entire lecture. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we put two minutes on the clock and we turn the person loose. And today, Gabby, we're hoping you can be that person. Um, We would like you to give us a two-minute guest lecture on the economics of being a YouTube star. Okay. Like how many views do you need to make a living? Are Don't you do tu- it. are YouTubers getting rich? No. Are you rich? No. If not, what are you doing wrong? Everything. Stuff like that. Okay. <laughs> You've done most of the lecture just right there in the yeah, intro. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Starting in 3, 2 and 1.
5: Well, so the podcast started because I wrote an article for Fusion a couple years ago uh, about how being a YouTuber means that you can be known, your face is seen and you're known uh, around, but you're not making any money necessarily off the content you're making. So uh, it's a weird time where fame and visibility does not equal financial security in a way it used to in the past. Um, And so like... Basically, it was about friends of mine who are like huge YouTube stars and they work at restaurants or they give tours at museums like I was doing Postmates uh, and we had some small YouTube success, and uh, people would stop me. And you have a timer on Postmates, where you have to like get to the place in half an hour, and people would stop me and be like, what are you doing, and want to take pictures and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to be late to deliver this burrito. Um, <laughs> life's a journey. Uh, so yeah, so basically, uh, YouTube itself, I think, has done uh, not a great job, because they'll promote a lot of people who do bad things on the internet, uh, and they'll give those people a platform. And uh, it's like you know, AdSense is taken away. I don't know if you guys know about this or if this is very inside baseball, but YouTube has uh, had a history lately of demonetizing LGBT content in particular. So if you're, because they want to appeal to advertisers, so if your videos, like a lot of mine, have the word gay or bisexual or trans or whatever in the title, they will not be eligible to have ads put on them and they will not be eligible to make money. Right. Now I'm just preaching. So basically a lot of smaller creators and particularly marginalized creators who might actually need the ad revenue are not able to get it. Um, and they've talked a lot, big game about fixing it and blah blah blah, but they don't really do anything to fix it. And our videos still get demonetized. And a lot of like people who would otherwise have used YouTube as their only platform are now because you know they're not seen in quote unquote mainstream media are now booted because it's not a money making endeavor anymore. So um, it's hard. Like, when we get sponsored by brands, that's helpful. But then audiences will often be like, I don't want to watch a commercial. So it's basically like a can't win situation. I think audiences who watch videos need to remember that these people are making stuff for free. And that, like, we had 200 free videos before we ever got any sort of brand deal. And then people were like, ew, we don't want to watch a commercial. And I wanted to, like, reach through the screen and be like, we made 200 videos for free. What do you think this is? So yeah, it's just kind of a weird thing where like in the past you would be a movie star and it would be like, okay, obviously this person is wealthy. But now there's like so many different avenues that you have to take in, and not all of them are lucrative. And especially the platform itself is not that lucrative anymore.
0: How was that? That was perfect. You came in right at the two minute mark.
5: I just mostly got mad.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes guest lectures can kind of be guest rants.
5: Yeah, that's kind of, I felt like it wasn't, it was just like uh, like preaching and like, like ruining people's days. That sounds like
0: college to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Gabby Dunn, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks. Podcast is bad with money. Check her out on YouTube. <laughs> You are listening to LiveWire from PRI. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Luke. Special thanks this episode to Leslie Alter of Portland, Oregon, and Laura Frizzell, also of Portland, Oregon. Did you know Leslie and Laura are part of the LiveWire member community, and they've been generously supporting LiveWire with a donation each month? We are so thankful for that. It is really and truly one of the things that allows us to keep this whole show going. So a very, very big and very heartfelt thanks this week to Leslie and Laura. Welcome back to Livewire from PRI. We are at the Alberta Street Pub this week. I'm Luke Burbank. We've got Elena Passarello here. All right, we got to keep things moving right along, but we do have this stack of cards from the audience here at the Alberta Street Pub about things they wish they hadn't brought up. Elena, should we run through a couple more of these? Let's do it. Um, Let's see. Uh, Lauren said, what's something you wish you hadn't brought up? Actually answering the question, what's your biggest weakness in a job interview?
4: (laughs) That's a good one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what, um, uh, what is the proper answer to that question? That
3: you're a perfectionist.
0: Right, right. That's the
3: only acceptable answer. Or you could say, I bring too many baked goods for people's birthdays. That's the only, those are the only
0: two things you can say. <laughs> those are the only things that will help you still get the job. Right. Um, what is something uh, you wish you hadn't brought up? Frank said, uh, I got a nasty cold sore. Share your beer.
3: Well that might be a really good way to get a free beer.
0: Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, no, you finish it. <laughs> yeah. You finish it. No, the Valtrex is working. This is the first breakout in years. Uh, Rowan said something they wish they hadn't brought up that I thought the latest Drake song was quote Bomb and I was in the TSA line. <laughs>
3: Yeah, there are uh, a lot of songs that you can't sing in the TSA line. You Dropped I, a Bomb on Me. Yeah. Uh, um, uh,
0: d- I guess that's the that's only really, one. Yeah, it's pretty actually, much just that's that song. Really
3: it. Yeah.
0: Uh, Chelsea said, uh, I told my friend who does CrossFit that I thought it didn't look hard. Then she made me go. Wrong. All caps.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll just end on that one. I have recently become an obsessed listener to this hour's musical guest. He's a singer, songwriter, originally from Pensacola, Florida. His latest album is called Golden Age. Please welcome Chris Staples to Livewire. Chris, welcome to Livewire. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we're kind of talking about like seemingly forbidden topics. Is there anything that, uh, that you think is off-limits for writing a song about?
2: Uh, for me, I'll write mostly about anything, but I am a little hesitant about writing about my parents. They're still alive, and uh, I don't know. I feel like working out my issues with them on, through song is weird, maybe. <laughs> like, not respectful to them or something. I don't know. But This would yeah. be less
0: awkward if my actual parents weren't sitting right there, <laughs> whom I talk about incessantly on the show as a way of trying to process my feelings about them.
2: Yeah, yeah, no judgment to anyone who does or whatever. Yeah. It's just like, I feel weird about
0: it, but yeah. Um, There has been a, uh, there's a musician named Chris Stapleton who's rose to prominence of late. I haven't heard of him. Yeah. (laughs) Your name is Chris Staples. Like, what's that doing to your life? Uh, Well, it's a little weird. Like,
2: I've had people buy tickets to my shows thinking that they're coming to a Chris Stapleton show. But I'm hoping that people buy my records thinking that they're his, you know? So that could be a benefit. I wrote a song that was just kind of a joke song when I was on tour about about, it just kind of mentions him, and uh, I played this song in Nashville at this like house show, and I real- and I found out later that some people there worked for him, so it's a little bit like I was happy to get out of there alive, but yeah.
0: Can you play, I mean, could you play us a couple notes of that song? I know that's not the plan, but like, do you remember uh, how it goes?
4: Yeah, I do. Um, um, hold on a second.
2: Okay, so it talks about this part of the song. It talks about um, just, like, why you may have come to a show.
6: So it goes. Maybe you came to turn off your brain and sway back and forth. Or maybe you came because your friend, what's his name? In N-B-O-N band Oh maybe you came cause you misread my name as Chris Stapleton
2: Then I say F that guy right
4: there <laughs>
3: <really good. clears throat> <Thank> you <laughs> I love what passes for vitriol in thoughtful yeah, acoustic yeah. music. It's, it's, you know, all like, it's all relative, yeah. Yeah.
0: That wasn't exactly a diss track. Yeah, not <laughs> too
2: scathing at
0: all. <laughs> um, all right, well, uh, uh, what non Chris Stapleton related song are we going to hear now,
2: Chris uh, Staples? This song's called Park Bench, and it's about dying, actually, strangely.
0: Very on oh, brand yes. for this episode of the show. This is Chris mm-hmm. Staples on Livewire, everybody. <laughs>
6: It's my last. And these moments that we share dissolve into the air without warning or apology. They pass. Yeah, they pass. Some men want to be remembered Long, long after they're gone Even though I know that is ridiculous I wouldn't mind being thought of time to time How can I say, without sounding too cliché, that I want to live this day like it's my last? And these moments that we share dissolve into the air without warning or apology. They pass. Yeah, they they pass. They pass. They pass. They pass.
0: That's gonna do it for our show this week, everybody. Thanks to our guests, Gabby Dunn, Lori Kilmartin, and Chris Staples. How about Elena Passarello, everyone? Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines and Fully. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Laura Haddon is our senior producer. Lauren Masterson is our development director, and Tim Harkins is our operations director. Our editor is Melanie Sevchenko, Caitlin Kunkle is our writer. Our house band is A. Walker Spring. And Ethan Fox Tucker. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our on-air mix by Corey Schreppel. Thank you so much to Carlson Audio. Additional funding by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire is made possible by the support of our members. Thank you this week to member Roger Meyer of Portland, Oregon, for his support. For more information about the show or how you can get our podcast or newsletter, head over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
6: P.R.I. Public Radio
0: International. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered?